Hi, everybody, and welcome to an exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Delighted to be talking with a prolific author on this episode and someone whose work that I've enjoyed for, I guess, 30 plus years at this point. Uh, I think I discovered your books sometime in the 1990s, and that is author Steve Perry. May I call you Steve? Is that okay? Oh, oh by all means. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so folks out there might know you for the science fiction worlds that you've crafted. They might also know you for some of the licensed or shared work that you've done. Uh, but you have several books out there that we can make our way to talking about. Uh, before we talk about any titles in particular, uh, what was it about the written word that that has drawn you in, continues to draw you in as a creator? Well, I was always a reader uh, from a very early age. I started reading when I was about four or five, and my parents would buy things like encyclopedias and leave them around. So I, I read everything. It's one of those guys that would, you know, read the, the ketchup label if there was nothing else. Uh, and, and I grew up in the South where everybody tells stories. And so I was reading, I was hearing stories and, and it just seemed a natural progression. When, when I was in the 11th grade in, in high school, my, my English teacher, Marianne Brown was drop dead gorgeous. She was a beautiful <laughs> woman in her twenties and I had no means to impress her being a geeky little kid with glasses on. So uh, she, she gave us an assignment, a writing assignment. And I wrote my first science fiction story, um, which was, and I don't know where I came up with the idea. I probably swiped it. I can't remember. Uh, aliens land on Earth to invade, but the first house they come to is Dracula's, and he's giving a party for the wolf man. So it doesn't go well for the aliens. Uh -huh, she yeah. was quite impressed. And I was impressed that I could impress a beautiful woman by writing something. So it, it just it went from there. Um, I didn't really start trying to write until I was about 30 because I figured I needed to be old enough to have something to write about. Um, I didn't know enough about the world. And, and so I just started cranking out stories. And yeah, I just, it just, it, it worked out well for me. Um, I had a philosophy, which was um, if I wanted to be a doctor, I'd have to go to college for four years and then four years of medical school and then a year of internship and then maybe residency for a couple of years. And it would take me that long to become a beginning doctor. Um, but so I was willing to do that as a writer. I figured, well, it'll take me a while to learn how to be a writer because a lot more doctors than there are writers. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. it might be harder. Turned out it wasn't harder for me. Um, it did. You know, I got 300 rejections the first year I was writing. I was cranking them out. I was writing a short story a week. And I, Ray Bradbury had written a piece where he said, if you write a short story a week for about 20 years, you'll get pretty good at it. Uh -huh. I thought, oh, okay, I'll try that. I lasted for 40 weeks. That was it. And then I crashed and burned. I, I, I just, my brain went, went and turned into jello. But I did have pretty much 20 stories or so in the mail at any given time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it was just like part-time work. You know, you do it after after dinner or you do it in the morning before anybody wakes up or lunch hour. Uh, because I was working full-time and I had two small children and a wife and all that stuff had to be managed. But, you know, it, if you want to learn how to do it, you can. It's not that hard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you mentioned one of my favorite um, classic authors, I guess, which is Ray Bradbury. And uh, oh, 
I mean, yeah, master of the short story, master of creating these worlds. And I'm always intrigued by the introductions to his books where he would talk about, well, well, I think this idea came from, you know, this place or that place. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't think of a better mentor through letters than Ray Bradbury by any means. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he he was absolutely brilliant. Um, He didn't travel. Uh, You either saw him in Los Angeles or you didn't see him. He didn't like to fly. Yeah. So wherever he went, he drove by car. I saw him once at a bookstore in Los Angeles uh, uh, when I was still fairly young and new in the business, and I didn't get a chance to speak to anything. But I saw him, so yeah. <laughs> I was I was pleased with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, as as a young kid, also growing up in a in a small town in the South, you know, a lot of what I connected with first was was that shared universe content so if i saw something at my local wall of books that linked to a movie i had seen or something i was familiar with i was always uh yeah i was very excited exactly i i probably made that noise um <laughs> uh, we, we have some small dogs running around too um and so probably it was alien uh the alien books that i first discovered of yours but the time i remember recognizing oh this is a this is a steve perry book that i'm about to read was um shadows of the empire oh, yeah yeah it, it's that's that was a big one and i actually got shadows of the empire because i wrote the aliens books oh wow, um, wow. yeah the, the the story and, and i don't want to wander off because i'm a storyteller but uh, Mike Richardson, the publisher of Dark Horse Comics, mm-hmm. before there was a Dark Horse Comics empire, I had comic book stores in, in, my, in my area. And I used to take my son to one of the stores to do comic book shopping. And we would talk, Mike and I, and he, I, you know, he was, he was a budget, you know, burgeoning writer and artist and, and selling comics and wanted to get into the business. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, and I said, well, I'm a writer and I've written these books and he said, oh, okay. So when he got the rights to do the aliens novelizations, he, he, he got the rights to do graphic novels. And then with that came the right to do novelizations based on the graphic novels, based on the movies. Uh, and he called me up. He said, would you like to write those? And, and I said, yeah. I said, well, I can give you this money as well. I think I'd make all that much. It turned out those were fairly uh, lucrative. But fast forward, um, Lucy Wilson, who was vice president at Lucasfilm, was dealing with Mike because he was doing the novelizations of the Star Wars book, you know, stories. Mm-hmm. And she, she said they were looking for someone to write, uh, you know, this this new book. And he said, well, you need to talk to my guy. I have yeah. a guy who's a science fiction writer. He wrote this, and so that's how I got the. I got the call from from uh, the Bantam Books. You know, the the editor there, Tom, and I had, had done some other work, and I had written a novelization of a movie for him called The Mask, mm-hmm. which was uh, Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it because he he called up. He said, "Look, I'm in a hurry. I don't have any money, and <laughs> and and I have to have this book in six weeks. Do you, you want to take a shot at it?" And I thought. I've never written a movie novelization. Sure, I'll do that. So yeah. I did it. It took me 18 days to write that book. That was the fastest I've ever written a novel. And wow. Of course, I had the movie script. Uh-huh. Um, and he was quite pleased. And he said, well, I got this novelization that I'm, you know, this novel, I, the Star Wars that Bantam wants, wants us to do. And uh, uh, so uh, would you be interested in, and, he's, and he said, and, and I just got this recommendation from this guy, Mike Richardson. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> 
well, it just all comes together well. So that's that's how I got the, the job. Um, um, they they called me up and they said, come to the ranch. They, everything was still at the ranch, Skywalker Ranch at the time. Mm-hmm. And we'll sit down around a table and we'll brainstorm all this stuff. We have this general idea that we want to go with about the, the underbelly, the dark side of Star Wars, the mm-hmm. criminals. Um, and we have a we have a character and we, we have a couple of ideas. I said, sure. So I flew to San Francisco and, and got in my rented a car, which turned out to be a uh, Mustang convertible. And I drove across the bridge out to, to Skywalker Ranch in, in Marin County and um, sat at a table with a bunch of people. And that's what we did. We sat there and cranked up. the had, had game people and, and and comic book people and, and mm-hmm. uh, toys and you know, the designers, we all sat around the table and someone said, okay, well, I want to have a scene with, you know, with the motorcycles. <laughs> okay, right. Made some notes on that. What about this? Well, you know, we can't use Han Solo because at this point he's in ice. I mean, he's in carbonite. Mm-hmm. So uh, we need somebody like Han Solo. So I said, well, well, let's come up with, a, you know, a smarter, younger brother. And so we came up with a creature to take Han Solo's place because he was, you know, kind of the the fun part of, of the movies uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just basically went back and forth until we had a whole bunch of notes. And I went home, wrote a big outline, which went in and it had to be signed off because everybody connected. Because this, this was star Wars was supposed to be everything, but the movie yeah. uh, it was, it was a setup for, for what was coming down the road. And so everybody had to sign off on it. Uh, you know, well, you know, the comic books, people wanted to do this character and the, the toy people wanted to feature this and, uh, we had a, a we had a CD, a music CD. We had everything it was all one great big huge conglomeration of stuff, and it was everything but the movie. And I wrote it like it was going to be a movie. This is yeah. this is what I was visualizing when I wrote it. And so yeah, that's that's it. It was it was quite exciting, and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, re- I remember editor, the action figures, all the things. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've got some of those. They didn't send them to me for free. I had to buy them, but I, ah. I have some of them. <laughs> You were going to say something about the editors there. Sorry, I, I cut you off. Oh uh, no, uh, the uh, when I when I when I went to go, uh, my editor uh, said, "You know, this is a good group of people. There's not a suit in the bunch," which mm-hmm. which was high praise as far as I was concerned. These were people that all loved the project and wanted it to do well, and mm-hmm. and so all the people that I worked with were just great. It was it was a lot of fun. It was smart people. I, I had a couple of editorial inputs once I turned in the manuscript, things that they didn't like, they wanted me to change it. We would argue about them, but they were quite reasonable about, yeah. about most of it. One of it was there's a scene where the, stop me if I run off too far from. No, no, you're point. good. There's, you're there was, good. No, no, there, there's a, there's a scene where I wanted the droids to fly the ship, the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you can't do that, but why not? Because they're not viewpoint characters. Uh, and we're staying, you know, you've written this, we're going to stay in character's heads. I said, well, I'm sure I can pull this off. So we don't think so. Uh, I said, well, look, uh, uh, let me try write the scene. Um, you know, 3PO and R2 are, are going to fly the ship and, and let me write it. And if you don't like it, I'll write it as a set piece. So I'll just be able to drop it in. And if you don't like it, we'll pull that whole piece out and we'll just replace it with something else. You know, it, 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 it should be easy to do. It's like a puzzle. So let's just take this piece out and put another one in. And they said, okay, fine, but we're not going to like it. I said, okay, fine. So I wrote the scene and I sent it in and I waited for a while. And the phone rang and um, <sighs> the note was, 
okay, the scene. Could, could you make it longer? <laughs> yeah, I can make it longer. Yes, Apparently, they liked it. <laughs> oh, they did. They did. And the way I did it was simple. I just had the whole thing being viewed by Luke or somebody on the other end of the comm, a radio. They were listening to it. You know, three PO and, and R two are bleeping and yelling at each other. No, no, look out! Bam! You know, it's stop. You know. A, a, you know, a sign or, or runs into somebody's car or something as they're yeah. flying the thing. And I had a lot of fun with it. Um, the other one that, that I wanted to do is I wanted to have them pull the, the, the Falcon up to a, basically a celestial gas station and go use the phone. And there was a line of people who used the phone and they're waiting. And this guy talking to his girlfriend, they didn't like that one. So that one didn't go get to stay in, <laughs> but pretty much most of what I wrote in the outline is, is what was allowed when I, when I went to write the book. Nice, nice. And I remember reading, you were talking about The Mask. I remember reading that. Uh, and you did several of those novelizations after that, I think, of different yeah, properties. I did a couple of them. My, my, my daughter, uh, who, when she graduated from high school, didn't want to go to college. She went off, got a job someplace. And, and uh, I said, okay, fine. And so she came home after a year or so and said, I want to go to school now. I'm tired of working in the real world. And I said, okay. But we spent that money. My, you know that we saved for mm -hmm. your college education and so you know we bought a house or a car and i said so uh, i'll i'll make a deal with you she was she was a writer she had started writing she wrote her first story at 17 mm -hmm. sent it to the first market the first market that saw it bought it and not only that it was a short short it was 800 words long which is devilishly hard to pull off uh -huh. i was impressed she's she's a great writer and so i said i'll get a job working um write a novelization and you write it and you can have the money. And she said, okay. And that way you can pay for your college. And so that's how we got the aliens books. I, when, you know, when Mike gave me one, I said, well, how about my daughter helps me write one? Said, sure. And so yeah. we wrote some of those together. She wrote 80% of, of the ones that we wrote together. You know, I went through and, and touched stuff up. And after a while I didn't need to touch stuff up. She was very good at it. So that's, you know, but she wrote a, a movie novelization, uh, Time Cop, John Claude Van Damme, and mm -hmm. I, I I had fun reading and, and kind of you know nudging her in different direction. But she it was her book, so yeah, yeah. I, I remember reading uh, her stuff too. I think she published under SD. Is that right? SD, yeah, is, mm -hmm. is, yeah. Her name is uh, Stephanie Danell, and she goes by Danell Danielle. Um, it's spelled Danell, but it's got an uh, an umlaut uh, or or, or a, something you know till day over the 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 letter to, to give it to the eye sound yeah yeah um so any any other shared work shared universe work that you want to mention before we talk about some of the the worlds that you crafted sure i did a bunch of them i wrote conan novels uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, indiana jones yeah i did an indiana jones novel that was they actually asked me to do that my my collaborator and i reads were writing star wars books together we had written uh, uh, well, I did Shadows, and, and then we did uh, some MedStar books, which were Clone Wars things, but, uh, basically MASH in, in, in the future, uh, mm -hmm. MASH in Star Wars. And uh, we had pitched another one, which was going to be a basically about a rock star in Star Wars. Um, and uh, they wanted some serious changes in it, and uh, we didn't want to do them. It's like, you know, I don't want to use those characters. I want to do this as well. Okay, we'll pass. So, so we, we, backed away later they came back and asked if we wanted to look at that book again because they liked the idea um and and i said i really don't and my 
Michael, Michael Reeves, my collaborator, said, well, you know, I'd, I'd take a shot. I said, fine, you have my blessing. I think he wrote that with Maya Bonoff. Um, and, and the day after I turned it down, I got a call from Shelley Shapiro, who said, she was the editor that advanced on, who said, well, okay, you're not going to do Star Wars. You want to do an Indiana Jones book? I said, yeah, sure. I, I'd love to put Indy through his paces. So that was fun. The Conan books were, were the, my wife had, had left her job and, and become a consultant for a while. And so she was working from home and I needed to make more money to make up the difference in her income. And so I got asked by Sprague de Camp to do a Conan novel. And I don't know why I'd never written any of that, that sword and sorcery fantasy, but he read one of my books. And I guess he decided I had the, the action chops to do it. So I wrote one and it, it did well and he liked it. So then they asked me to do some more. I wound up writing five of them mm -hmm. and I gave them titles like, you know, Conan the Vegetarian and Conan the Hot Tub and Conan the College Tuition. And <laughs> I didn't use those titles, but that, that, that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking of them at. Um, in Conan the Vegetarian, he never actually eats meat in the whole book. Every time he goes into a pub to get, you know, a slab of raw beast and, and ale or whatever it is, they're always out. So he, <laughs> he eats fish or he eats, you know, potatoes or yams. Or, and I, that's the other thing writers do is you have to be careful. We, we like to put you know, in jokes and little Easter eggs and things in our books. And so all of my stuff has that in it. Uh, <laughs> let's see what we can get past the editor and let's see what we can, you know, what the readers will spot. Mm -hmm. And the problem with Star Wars is there's so many readers, they spot them all. Somebody will say, when you wrote this about this guy, did you mean this? Yeah, I did. I was kind of hoping I could sneak that one past, but good on you. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Now, now you also have you have worlds that you've crafted that are not uh, George Lucas characters and things like that. And one of my favorites oh, yeah. is Trinity Vector. Um, oh, yeah. Any favorites of yours that you have? Well, I did a whole series. Uh... I, you know, they're all favorites. They're all like children. You know, you don't have oh, any yeah. favorite children. But um, uh, I wrote a, a, a long running series. I think it ran 10, ran 10 or 12 titles um, about the Matadors, inter intergalactic bodyguards mm -hmm. who were, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, really good at what they did and a revolution. Um, so the, those started out. The first one was The Man Who Never Missed, which, which I still think is the best title that I've ever come up with. Um, and then they sort of sprung off. I, I wanted to write one big long braided novel where you had different characters each taking a section of the book. And my editor said, no, what you want to write is a trilogy. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Why, why would I want to write a trilogy? Well, first you get more words. And, and second, you'll make more money because, you know, they'll have three books and if one of them doesn't do too well, but the others do, you'll, you'll still do all right. I said, okay, I can't really argue with that logic. Um, so that's what I did. I, I wrote a trilogy. They lied. First off, you don't really get that many more words because you have to spend a certain amount of time in the second book recapitulating the first. And oh, a yeah. certain amount in the third book, you know, this is what went before. And they have to stand alone. So if someone picks up the second book instead of the first, they have to be able to, that story has to have its own arc when, regardless of what went before and what comes after. So, but they, they sold okay, they earned out. And so then, then that sort of sprung off into three more books. And so, you know, one day I look up, I'm writing the ninth book in the trilogy, kind of like George Martin, you know, Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's just, 
get kind of rambling on. Finally, I got to the, the point where I decided I, I needed to end the series. And so I wrote the last of the Matador novels. And that, that's just out recently. Uh, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. There wasn't really a market for it. My, my, my publishers were done. So no, these books aren't selling that much anymore. So I just, I just wrote it and put it up on Amazon as an ebook and then a print book and it, it sold okay. And, and I wrapped that up, but yeah, all of all the books, I mean, the Trinity Vector was, was a fun one. I just had, I had an idea. Well, you know, what about this? You have, a, you have a notion. Well, what, what about this? Is it, where does this come from? And in Trinity Vector, the, the key to the whole book is in the last two lines. If you go back and look at the last couple of lines, you'll see what the book was all about. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you just get a wild hair. You just go off down the road and say, okay, well, what does this mean? You know, who's this character? Where are they going to go? And you can start with the character. You can start with a, a story or a setting. It doesn't matter. You just, whatever sparks the idea to get going. And then you just ask yourself all the science fiction questions. What if, what if this happens? And, and what if this goes on? And, and then my favorite one is the Ted Sturge, you say, and then what happened? And, and then what happened after that? And, and then and you just keep following it along and pretty soon you, you get to the end and well, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so at this stage, having created in all of these worlds, are there places, uh, are there characters that you would love to still visit and take on either by means of a novel short story or, uh, any other creative approach? Yeah, some of the characters that I've that I've come up with, I, I kind of wondered, well, what happened to them after that? I mean, with the Matador series, I started out with with a group of characters and and wound up with their children, um, you know, down the road. Um, pretty much, I I told all the stories. It's like any run long running series. At some point, you realize you told pretty much everybody's story. They've they've had an arc from whatever the youthful age is to wherever they wound up at the end. And you could go back and visit it, but, you know, pretty much you've, you've laid out the stories you wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, I'll come up with a, a thought. And, and I've, done, I've done some short stories with some of the things that I've done. Um, now and again, someone will, will ask you, I wrote, let me take this back. My favorite science fiction novel of all time. And not the best written novel, which which is entirely different things. What what my favorite was was called Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny. Mm-hmm. This was a book he wrote in the '60s, and it happened to hit me at just the right time. And I thought this is just wonderful. Zelazny was a brilliant writer. Um, mm-hmm. He sure. he yeah he created a whole bunch of worlds that I just love. But Lord of Light was was one of my favorites. So fast forward on you know forty years, fifty years. Somebody that I know got the rights to do a short story collection based on Rogers and Larry Zelazny's characters. And uh, Zelazny created a whole bunch of different series, uh, one of which was the Amber series, the, print, the Nine Princes in Amber. Um, and they, they weren't allowed to use that one because they had some plans for that but but there were a whole bunch of them and one of them was would you like to be able to write a story set in Lord of the Light and oh I wanted to do that so bad because I love those characters and I always wanted to see the sequel what happened after all these things these people where did they go where did they wind up Um, so I got to write that one of those stories where I got to take four or five of the main characters and tell you where they were 30 years down the line oh that was fun and, and I can do that with my, my own stuff. I can go back and look at the characters. Okay, well, this character was pretty interesting. 
what do you think they're going to be doing 20 or 30 years down the line? Because a short story only covers a, a brief period and, you know, they have a life before and a life after. A novel can cover a, a longer period, but if you have a really interesting character, I mean, I used to read multi-generational historical stuff when I was, mm-hmm. when I was younger, where you start out with a guy who was a young man and you'd end up with his grandson and and a good writer would just take you down the road. You'll just you know eat popcorn and, and go right along. Yeah, so, yeah. I some of the character, most of the characters that I created, uh, I was able to do as much as I wanted to do with them. And uh, the last Matador novel, I was on the cover, the final Matador novel, because I was done. I mean, uh, I had taken all of my main characters through. I got a chance to take them. You know, they're older now. They're creaky. And of course, as I get older, I tend to write about older characters, and I'm—I root for the old guys. I mean, when I went to go see this, the new Indiana Jones movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I was this. This was like uh, you know, he needs to have you know an ending. He needs to yes. to, to ride out, and I thought they did a brilliant job. I mean, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I really did. I don't. I don't know if I had people say, "Well, it was pretty good, but not that good." I thought I would rank it right. I would give it a tie for second place. You know, the, the first Indiana Jones movie, you know, Raiders is that was it. This this was new. This was exciting. You're never going to get to do the first one over again. And everything after that was to various degrees, you know, good, bad or, or, or not as good. Um, but I thought, you know, the last crusade, you know, the Holy Grail and oh, yeah. and and the De- Dial of Destiny were, were pretty close. Of course, I'm older. You know, I'm the same age, almost the same age as the character. In the, in the in the movie, he's seventy. I think he's seventy two or seventy three. He was born in eighteen ninety three, eighteen ninety seven. Indiana uh-huh. Jones. Uh, uh-huh. And Harrison Ford's actually older than that. And so watching Ford on on screen go through all that stuff is like this is just lovely, you know. Oh yeah, it's an old guy, and they're not making any pretense that he can beat the big muscular guy up anymore. Uh-huh. Um, he, uh-huh. you know, in martial arts which I have been studying off and on for most of my life. You, as you age, you learn to fight smarter and not harder, or you don't, you don't survive. So, you know, I thought they did a great job at that. So yeah, I tend to write more. So if I'm going to write about characters that I've done probably now, if I go back and visit them, they're going to be older and wiser and smarter. I hope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I've been rewatching the Indiana Jones movies, so I've been I'm gonna try not to go down that side path. But I also found it really enjoyable and and creative with the the snakes scene. I won't give anything away, oh, yeah. but the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really well done too. Um, so it sounds like Matador. The best place to go for that for readers and listeners would be Amazon. It sounds oh, like. Yeah. Yeah, um, any other spaces that are out there that um, readers should go to check out work, uh, updates, That's, information? Yeah, I know Amazon gets a bad rap, but they, they and, and sometimes justifiably so, but as, as a creator, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's the biggest market. Um, they made it easier to, to publish paperbacks. That I, at one point, I was just doing everything as ebook. I, I would just take all my old stuff and put them up as ebooks and didn't offer paperbacks. And people would, would say, look, you know, I, I really don't like these readers. I like books, you know. And so if you put it out as a book, I'll, I'll buy it. And so I said, okay, fine. So I tried it and they didn't. Um, uh, and so I thought, you know, this is, this is some work for me to do to put it out for a relative handful of people. 
And this is my my experience right now is that uh, the books that I have up and I'm, a lot of my backlist is up in, in a couple of places, you know, uh, not just Amazon. And uh, my experience is that probably about 88 or 90 percent of the sales are ebooks and maybe 10 or 12 percent uh, are paper because the papers cost three times as much. You have to wait for them to be printed and delivered. Um, pay postage, or of course, if you're on Amazon, you probably don't pay postage anymore. But you know, delivery, um, and it it seemed like a, a like almost like a niche market now because uh, why would I pin fifteen dollars for this paper book, which I have to wait a week to get, when I can download the ebook right now and be reading it now in, in five minutes? So that's that's kind of what I what I've done. And but yeah, that's what I, I would look for Amazon. You you, you can just the other places that that sell books are are much smaller, and I've pretty much given up going to New York because traditional publishing is it's gotten to be you know kind of a can of worms. You, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're going to get. The, the the staff has been cut way down. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're laying off people at book companies. You're you're the main reason to to go to a New York publisher is distribution and of course editors. You get good editors and copy editors, which every writer needs a copy editor. Don't let anyone tell you different. Um, they mm. save me some, some interesting gaffes. Oh yeah, Bonda McIntyre, Bonda McIntyre, late Bonda McIntyre was a great writer, and she tells a story about how she misspelled the word cacophony in her book all the way through, and they missed it. <laughs> And she uh, said, it came out and I looked at it, realized it was misspelled and my editor had missed it. So I was horrified. <laughs> you know, when it came out, the next edition, they changed it. But um, yeah, it's, that's, that's, what, that's what saves you. You're, as a writer, you're very subjective. You don't see what's written on the page. What you see is in your head, what you mm-hmm. wrote, what you thought you wrote on the page. And I will read the same page five times and miss the same typo mm-hmm. or miss the same misspelled word because I'm not seeing it. Yeah. What I'm seeing is inside my head. So, yeah, yeah. Right. Writing. I mean, it, one of the biggest pitfalls for writers who go, go straight to, to e-publishing or publishing themselves, small press, whatever, is that if they don't have a good editor, their, their subjective view will sometimes put them in a, a place where they go, oh, gee, I missed that. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Yeah. Shout out to, to authors, creators, editors, and copy editors. Oh my goodness, the things that copy oh, yeah. editors catch. Absolutely. Um, well, well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me. Did we miss anything at all that you want to make sure to to put out into the world? Uh, not really. <laughs> no. I mean, I've been okay. doing this for a long time. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it, I appreciate really all, be, all that yeah. you've done. Yeah, it really beats working for a living. Uh, people <laughs> say all the time, "God, it must be hard." Not really. You don't need a lot of talent. You, you, you know, this this much talent can make a little spark, a little flame, and you can kind of fan it, and it'll keep you warm. And if you're willing to to put the work in, it's just you know, I have people all the time say, "I, I just wish I could write." Like, you can if you can talk, you can write, if you can tell a story, you can write a story, you can learn all of the bells and whistles that make a story work because that's all available. And if you have just the smallest amount of talent and a lot of, of uh, yeah, it's sweat equity. If you're willing to sit down and work and work until you learn how to do the thing, most people can learn how to do it. It's, you know, it's, it's a shock, really. I mean, I've been making money all these years. And one of these days, I, 
I always keep expecting for there to be a knock on the door and it's literary police saying, okay, you have to give the money back and get a real job now. We know <laughs> you've been faking it all this time. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'll be revisiting and enjoying the work for some time. So I, I don't I don't think they'll be showing up and knocking anytime soon. Yeah, one hopes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, well, thank you again and uh, glad to talk with you anytime and glad to share your uh, glad to share about your work. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and thanks so much. It's, it's been a joy talking to you. Yeah, I enjoy talking with you as well. Thanks. Okay. Bye.